Hello, welcome back. And this week we are going to start off with a creature that is known worldwide and has a lot of sightings and folklore worldwide, which makes it even more cooler. A loved Disney character. We are going to speak on the origin of the mermaid, the male equivalent being merman. So the word mermaid is a compound of the old English mare, which means sea, S-E-A, and maid, a girl or young woman. So it means mare with or sea woman. So the first known mermaid, the stories of, appeared in Assyria at 1000 BC. So a Tergatis, a goddess, a mother of the Assyrian queen Semiramis, loved a mortal. He was a shepherd. She unintentionally killed him, though, and she was so ashamed that she jumped into the lake and took the form of a fish. But the waters wouldn't conceal her divine beauty, so she took the form of a mermaid. Human above the waist, fish below the waist. So, in some variations of the story, it shows her as a fish with a human head and arm, kind of like the Babylonian god E or Ea. So the Greeks recognized a Tergatis under the name Derkito sometime before 546 BC. And Milesian philosopher, sorry, Anaximander postulated that mankind had sprung from an aquatic animal species. He thought that humans who began life with prolonged infancy could not survive otherwise. And there is a lot of crazy scientific research being done. You can find really actually credible documentaries of people who are trying to prove that humans evolved from mermaids or mer people. (laughs) So yeah, it's really interesting. I watched a documentary on it and even though I don't technically believe it, I will say they had a really good argument for it. So there's a mermaid legend around the sister of Alexander the Great. And that legend is of modern mintage. So in the second century AD, the Hellenized Syrian writer Lucian of Samosata and the Syrian goddess Tergatis stated that he has seen a Phoenician depiction of Derkito or Tergatis, like we said, as a mermaid, even though the goddess was cast in an image that was entirely a woman in the holy city. So he also imagines, sorry, mentions a, ta- a taboo against eating fish in a wider region due to the belief that she is part fish. So it would be against her. Now Pliny the Elder describes numerous sightings of mermaids off the coast of Gaul, and he said that their bodies were covered all over in scales and their corpses were common for washing up on shore. So the idea of mermaids in the West, anyways, may have been influenced by the sirens of Greek mythology. And 
these were originally half bird-like, but came to be pictured as half fish-like in the Christian era. So there are historical accounts of mermaids uh, reported by Christopher Columbus even during his exploration of the Caribbean. And they think what he saw, though, was manatees. But what he said were actual mermaid sightings. And people still report in that area to see them to this day. Now, we have, again, in Assyria with a terra goddess that as she was transformed as a mermaid, they are associated with things such as floods, storms, shipwrecks, drownings. And sometimes they can be considered benevolent or beneficial. So they could be, if you saw something, um, if you saw one, it could be a sign of falling in love, that sort of thing. It just depends on the person or the place and where you see it, right? So there are a collection of tales featuring sea people, and it's called 1001 Nights. And these are anatomically identical to land-bound humans. The only difference is they're able to breathe and live underwater. They do interbreed with humans, and the children have the ability to live underwater as well. So that's also that. And it's about this person who explores the seas, and he encounters the different societies. So in Great Britain and Ireland, the Norman Chapel of Durham, Durham Castle built about 1078, 1078 was the earliest surviving artistic depiction of a mermaid, at least in England. And you can see it in the capital above one of the original Norman stone pillars. And it's really beautiful. You can Google this stuff as well. So they were considered for them to be unlucky omens, that they would be the ones, like in the Ballad of Sir Patrick Spence, um, to be, if you saw one, it would mean you were destined to be doomed in a sense. So they've also been described to swim up other ones. They're not just in the ocean. They are known to be in rivers and freshwater lakes. And in one legend, a mermaid came to the Cornish village of Zinner, where she used to listen to the singing of the chorister, Matthew Trehella. The two fell in love, and Matthew went with the mermaid to her home in Pendus Cove. And you can actually supposedly hear these two singing together. There's also a chair decorated at the Church of St. Sonara by a mermaid carving, which is around 600 years old. In Irish lore, there is a Liban figure that appears as a sanctified mermaid that was originally a human. And you will see them mermaids from the Isle of Man known as Benvardi that are considered good towards humans in that area. In Western Europe, we have freshwater mermaid-like creatures from European folklore is called Mulusine, and she sometimes has two fish tails. And her lower body, could that be also of a serpent? So Percalysis wrote a book called The Book of Nymphs, Sylphs, Pygmies, Salamanders, and Other Spirits in 1566. And that's where the water elemental idea came into, like water spirits, deities, that kind of thing. Then we obviously have Hans Christian Andersen's fairy tale, The Little Mermaid. 
We also have a little mermaid on that tail that you can see in Denmark since 1913. And obviously we know how that became big in North America. And we also have the lusting sense the Romanesque period brought in. So in the Ottoman Byzantine Greece era, a siren was a mermaid-like creature with a part, part bird-like face, like we had said. And uh, Physiologus began switching the illustration of the siren as that of a mermaid in a version dated to the 9th century. So in the 10th century, Byzantine Greek dictionary, Suda was still favored as an avian, in other words, bird description instead of the fish, which I think is really interesting. In Eastern Europe, Rusalkas are the Slavic counterpart of a Greek sirens. And they, they're all different, but according to ethnologist D.K. Zelenin, they are common there. They are restless spirits of the unclean dead. And they're usually young women who died a violent death, like possibly murder or suicide, basically, usually before their wedding. So Rusalkas are said to be in lakes and rivers. They have long, pale green hair and pale skin, and they float among the weeds and are spent under the water. They can be seen after dark dancing together under the moon, and they lure young men in and drown them. In China, they have merfolk, which are um, which are noted in the Shenhanging, the classic of mountains and seas. It's a compliment, compl- oh my God, a compilation of Chinese geography and mythology from 4th century BC. There's also shark people, as well and you can see in wade gills some scenes and herds or the jottings of the south of china in 1730 there are two accounts concerning mermaids as well in korea because it's located around three sides of the sea um people will say that they actually see mermaids and a lot of tales come from that as well in japan there's the Japanese ringyo. It is. It means human fish. So that makes it pretty easy. It's part human female and part fish. But it has also been defined um, with that specific gender, like most of them. So in certain prominent depictions, the ringyo or ningo is basically has a human female head resting on a fish-like body. It's said to have a pair of golden horns, a red belly, three eyes on each side of its torso, and a carp-like tail end. It's usually about three to five, about 35 feet. And it is now in a place that you can capture this or see it, like get your sightings of it by Toyama Bay. In Southeast Asia, in Thailand, there is other versions of what is called the Ramayana, and it's a mermaid princess who tries to spoil Hunamo's plan to build a bridge to Lanka, but falls in love with him instead. In Cambodia, she's referred to Silvana Maka, and in the Japanese culture of Indonesia, she is a sea goddess of the Queen of the Southern Seas, and she has many forms 
but she is called Naya Blorong, and I know I'm butchering these. Philippines mermaids concepts um, are different. So there is the queen of the sea who married the mortal. And then there are also mermaids who have propagated and spread through the union of the first Serena and the first Latayo, a water god. And there are also mermaids called Mambubunu, which was depicted as having two fins instead of one. And they call them Serena, which is interesting. So in Hinduism, we have Suvanmaka, which means golden mermaid. And it's the daughter of Ravana that appears in the Cambodian and Thai versions of the Ramayana, which are the different tales. So she's a mermaid princess who tries to spoil Hunamun's plan to build a bridge, like I said, and falls in love with them instead. In Africa, we have Mami Water, Mother of the Water. And there are other ones in Zimbabwe and also in the Caribbean called Ayakaya, who also is to do with the goddess Jagua and the hibiscus flower of the Mayuga tree. There are also different, obviously we already know, there are also different forms of movies and art that have taken on these forms that you can see all over the world. Hans Christian Andersen was really a big one that brought this more to today's culture. But you can see them everywhere. And a lot of times they would mean eloquence, sexuality, but they could also mean defense or doom. So depending on where you were from and what your belief was, this could be sort of like a shield maiden type to you or someone that you had to watch out for, someone that could also keep you safe. So you can go on Google, which I love about all this stuff, and see all the crazy different artwork throughout the era all over the world and see how their depictions of the merfolk are depicted. And next, we will get to our next mythological creature. For your second mythological creature, we are doing the centaur. And I like it because I'm a Sagittarius, but <laughs> centaurs are half-human, half-horse creatures from Greek mythology. So they have the body of a horse and the torso, head, and arms of a man or woman, generally man. So the Greek word, and of course, as usual, I'm butchering this, kentoros is generally regarded as being an obscure origin. The etymology means piercing bull and was a euhemerist suggestion in Pelophatus rationalizing text on Greek mythology. I know that makes no sense. So on Incredible Tales, which included mounted archers from a village called Nephil, eliminating a herd of bulls that were the scourge of Ixion's of kingdom. Another possible related etymology could be bull slayer. All right. So Robert Graves, speaking of his work, George's Dimazil, who argued for tracing centaurs back to the Indian Gandharva, speculated that centaurs were a dimly remembered pre-Hellenic fraternal earth cult who had a horse as a totem. A similar theory was incorporated into Mary Renault's The Bull from the Sea. 
So, as we know, they're half-human, half-horse creatures in Greek mythology, and they were considered to be the children of Ixion, the king of Lapis, or Nephel, Nephel, I don't know, whatever, a cloud made in the image of Hera which is Zeus's last wife. So according to a different myth, however, they were all born from the union of a single centaurus with the Magnesian mares. One of the best known centaurs is Chiron, and he was known as the great centaur. Although most centaurs were depicted as lustful and wild, Chiron was a notable exception. Modest and civilized, he was known for his medicinal skills and teaching abilities. He lived on Mount Pelion and in Thessaly and was the tutor of a number of Greek mythological characters like Achilles and Esculapius. <laughs> he was immortal, however, and he was accidentally wounded by Hercules with an arrow treated with the blood of the monster Hydra, causing him insufferable pain. So when Hercules asked his father to free Prometheus and Zeus demanded that someone must be sacrificed, Chiron volunteered and died, both to free Prometheus and himself from the pain. So there are a number of dates that have been suggested over the years by centaur enthusiasts to celebrate the myth of the centaur. So May 14th is claimed to be International Centaur Appreciation Day and appears to be celebrated by some. However, no official conclusion has been met. It's really cool how, especially with Hercules, um, Chiron is known in astrology. And where your Chiron is in astrology is sort of like your life lesson, the thing that you're going to be working on. So you could have, in my case, my Chiron is in Taurus. So it means that I have a problem with authority and taking, uh, taking, what would the word be like, uh, being told what to do, I guess, in that sense, which is true. So I would assume Looking at this, I think that's really cool because it shows where Hercules goes around sort of the zodiac through all the different signs. And you can see this as each sign progresses on my blog. They're all done, but they're all set to go off for each sign as they appear in the coming year. And we're starting with Aries right now that kicks off the first sign of the zodiac for the year. Um, I think it's cool that they bring in Chiron in this case because you speak of the arrows. It's another part of Sagittarius as well. Sagittarius is ruled by planet Jupiter, mind you. But it's interesting that they bring Chiron into play and him being a centaur with Greek mythology. You can also read a bit of Greek mythology on my blog as well, which is linked in the bio description, just saying. <laughs> so I hope you guys have a wonderful week. And I will be back next time. Bye.